No, not now. That sounds like it's gonna cost you. I know what to do. I'm going to CashNetUSA.com. I can apply in minutes, get an instant decision, and if approved, I could have the money in my account as soon as the same business day. When you need money fast, be the hero. Go to CashNetUSA.com to apply for the money you need now. The exact timing as to when your loan funds will be available will be determined by your banking institution. A Scandal in Bohemia by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatized by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes, and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. I had seen little of Sherlock Holmes lately. Once I had married, the domestic interests which rise up around the man who finds himself for the first time master of his own establishment were sufficient to absorb all my attention. But one night, it was the 20th of March, 1888, I was returning from a journey to a patient when my way led me through Baker Street. As I passed the well-remembered door of 221B, I was seized with a keen desire to see Holmes again, so I rang the bell. In the sitting room, Holmes stood before the fire and looked me over in his singular introspective fashion. Wedlock suits you, Watson. <laughs> I think you put on seven and a half pounds since I saw you. Seven? Oh, please. I should have thought a little more. And I observe you've been getting very wet lately and that you have a clumsy and careless servant girl. Really, my dear Holmes, hmm? you know, you'd certainly have been burned had you lived a few centuries ago. Ah. You know, it's true that I, uh, I had a country walk on Thursday and came home in a dreadful mess, but as I've changed my clothes, I can't imagine how you deduce it. And as to Mary Jane, she's incorrigible and my wife has given her notice. <laughs> But there again, I, I fail to see how you work it out. <laughs> oh, well, it's simplicity itself. On the inside of your left shoe, the leather is scored by six almost parallel cuts. Obviously, they've been caused by someone who has very carelessly scraped around the sole in order to remove mud from it. <laughs> Hence, you see, my double deduction that you had been out in vile weather and that you had a particularly malignant boot-slitting specimen of the London slavery. <laughs> oh, my dear Holmes, at each successive instance of your reasoning, I am baffled until you explain your process. And yet I believe that my eyes are as good as yours. You see, but you do not observe. <laughs> the distinction is clear. Holmes threw across to me a sheet of notepaper which had been lying open on the table. You may be interested in this. It came by the last post. Oh. It's undated. And without either signature or address. Oh, no, no, no. Read it, read it. There will call upon you tonight, at a quarter to eight o'clock, a gentleman who desires to consult you upon a matter of the very deepest moment. Your recent services to one of the royal houses of Europe have shown that you are one who may safely be trusted... This account of you we have from all quarters received. Do not take it amiss if your visitor wears a mask. Oh, very singular. Hmm? So what do you make of that, Watson? Well, it is indeed a mystery. What do you imagine it all means? I have no data. 
It is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Ah, yes. Mm. Now, what you deduce from the note itself? Well, the man who wrote it is presumably well-to-do. Such paper could not be bought under half a crown a packet. It's uh, peculiarly strong and stiff. Peculiar is the very word. It's not an English paper at all. Hold it up to the light. I could make no sense of the watermark, which seemed to me just a series of letters. But from them, Holmes quickly identified the provenance of the paper as Bohemia. And the man who wrote the note is German. Notice the construction of the sentence, this account of you we have from all quarters received. Ah. A Frenchman or Russian could not have written that. It is the German who is so uncourteous to his verbs. Ah! We shall have all answers shortly. But let us discover first the manner of his arrival. Yes, yes, look. A nice little brougham and a fine pair of horses. Oh, there's money in this case, Watson, if there is nothing else. Well, I'd better go home. Not at all. I may want your help, and so may he. Come in. You had my note. Yes, uh, pray take a seat. Uh, this is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. Uh, whom have I the honour to address? You may address me as the Count von Kron. I hope that your friend is a man of honour and discretion whom I may trust with a matter of extreme importance. Mm. If not, I should much prefer to communicate with you alone. It is both honour. Then I must begin by binding you both to absolute secrecy. I promise. So do I. You will excuse this mask. The august person who employs me wishes his agent to be unknown to you. I may confess that the title by which I have just called myself is not my own. I was aware of it. The circumstances are of great delicacy. Every precaution has to be taken to avoid scandal. Uh, for to speak plainly, the matter implicates the great house of Ormstein, hereditary kings of Bohemia. I was also aware of that. If you would condescend to state your case, I should be better able to advise your majesty. The man sprang from his chair and paced up and down in uncontrollable agitation. Then, with a gesture of desperation, he tore the mask from his face and hurled it to the ground. You are right. I am the king. Why should I attempt to conceal it? Why indeed? But you can understand that I am not accustomed to doing such business in my own person. Yet, as the matter is so delicate, I have come incognito from Prague for the purpose of consulting you. Then pray consult. The facts are briefly these. Some five years ago, during a lengthy visit to Warsaw, I made the acquaintance of Irene Adler. You may have heard of her. Well, the name is completely new to me. Well, let's see if my index has anything to say about it. Yes, yes, there is a little. Born New Jersey, Contralto. Mascala, then Warsaw Imperial Opera, retired from operatic stage, living in London. So as I understand, your majesty became entangled with this young person, wrote her some compromising letters, and is now desirous of getting those letters back. <laughs> Precisely so, but Was how did you... Was there a secret you... marriage? Uh, none. No uh, legal papers or certificates? None. Well, then I failed to follow your majesty. If this young person should produce her letters for blackmailing or other purposes, how is she to prove their authenticity? Uh, there is the writing. Forgery? Uh, my private notepaper. Stolen? My own seal. Imitated? My photograph. Bought? We were both in the photograph. Oh, dear. 
Mm. That is bad. Your Majesty has indeed committed an indiscretion. I was only Crown Prince then. I was young. But the photograph must be recovered. It must be bought. She will not sell. It's stolen then. Five attempts have been made. No sign of it? Absolutely none. Hmm. Well, it's a, it's a pretty little problem. Hmm. But a very serious one to me. I am about to be married. So I have heard. A shadow of doubt as to my conduct would bring the matter to an end. And Irene Arder? Threatens to send the photograph to my fiancé's family. And she will do it. She has the face of the most beautiful of women, but a soul of steel. Rather than I should marry another woman, there are no lengths to which she would not go. You are sure that she has not sent it yet? She has said she will send it on the day the betrothal is publicly proclaimed. That will be next Monday. Then we have three days. The lady's address? Bryony Lodge, Serpentine Avenue, St. John's Wood. Right. Uh, then I shall drop you a line at your hotel to let you know how we progress. Pray do so. I shall be all anxiety. Holmes arranged with me to call on him the following afternoon to discuss the case. So, at three o'clock precisely, I was at Baker Street. But the landlady informed me that he had left the house shortly after eight in the morning and had not yet returned. So I sat down beside the fire to await him. It was close upon four when the door opened and a drunken-looking groom, ill-kempt and side-whiskered, with an inflamed face and disreputable clothes, walked into the room. Oh, uh, afternoon, sir. What? Who are you, who are you bursting in here like this? Uh, I've uh, come to see Mr. Holmes. Mr. Holmes? What? I... Oh, come along, Watson. Surely you recognise me. What? Holmes! <laughs> <laughs> Accustomed as I was to my friend's amazing powers in the use of disguises, I had to look three times before I was certain it was indeed he. Then he vanished into the bedroom, whence he emerged, respectable again, in five minutes. He stretched out in front of the fire and laughed heartily. <laughs> well, really, you could never guess how I employed my morning or what I ended up doing. Well, I can't imagine I suppose you've been watching the habits and, and perhaps the house of Miss Irene Adler. Quite so. But the sequel was rather unusual. I went in the character of a groom because there is a wonderful Freemasonry among horsey men. Uh, be one of them and you will know all there is to know. And did it so prove? Oh, indeed. It did. As much information as they could desire about Miss Adler. Oh, to say nothing of half a dozen other people in the neighbourhood in whom I was not the least interested, but whose biographies I was compelled to listen to. Oh, uh, but what of Irene Adler? She is the daintiest thing under a bonnet on this planet. So say the servant I muse to a man. Oh. Seldom goes out and has only one male visitor, uh, but a good deal of him. He is Mr. Godfrey Norton of the Inner Temple. Oh. See the advantage of a cabman as a confidant? But a lawyer involved? That sounds ominous. Depending on the relation between them. Was she his client, his friend, or his mistress? If the former, she had probably transferred the photograph to his safekeeping. If the latter, it was less likely. Uh, but on the issue of that question depended whether Bryony Lodge or the gentleman's chambers should now be the main object of my attention. Mm. And have you managed to resolve that? It was resolved for me, Watson. I was still balancing the matter in my mind when a handsome cab drove up to Briony Lodge and a gentleman sprang out. Wait for me, cabby! From the description I had received, it was clearly Norton. He was in the house for about half an hour and then emerged looking even more flurried than before. Drive like the devil! First to Grosvenor Hankies in Regent Street and then to the Church St. Monica in the Edgware Road. Half a guinea if you do it in twenty minutes! 
Then up draws a landau, and the lady herself shot out of the hall door and into it. I only caught a glimpse of her then, but she is a lovely woman, with a face a man might die for. The Church of St. Monica, John, and half a sovereign if you reach it in twenty minutes. So you followed? Oh, certainly, this was too good to lose. I managed to get a cab, and off we went. My cabbie drove fast. Indeed, I don't think I ever drove faster, but the others were there before us. I paid and hurried into the church. There was not a soul there save the two I had followed, and a clergyman who was expostulating with them. Evidently, there was some informality about the license, and the clergyman refused to marry them without a witness of some sort. I lounged up the side aisle like any other idler who has dropped into a church, when suddenly the three at the altar faced round to me, and Godfrey Norton came running towards me. Thank God, hmm? you do. Come on, quickly. Well, well, where to then, sir? Come along, man, come along. Only three minutes or it won't be legal. So you were brought into their marriage? Exactly. It was the most preposterous position in which I ever found myself in my life. Mumbling responses which were whispered in my ear and vouching for things which I knew nothing. Ah, this is a very unexpected turn of affairs. Mm. Then outside the church, Miss Adler herself approaches me and... Thank you so much for your kind help. She gives me this. A sovereign? Mm. I intend to wear it on my watch chain in memory of the occasion. Mm. But what then? It looked as if the pair might take an immediate departure. They separated, however, he driving back to the temple and she to her own house. But it suggests we must act quickly, which will mean a busy evening. And I would like your assistance. No, and I should be delighted. I was sure that I might rely on you. But uh, what is it that you want? Irene Adler, as I shall continue to call her, goes daily for a drive in the afternoon, mm -hmm. from which she returns at seven. We must be at Bryony Lodge to meet her. Yes, and, and what is to happen then? You must leave that to me. I have already arranged what is to occur. There is only one point on which I must insist. You must not interfere, come what may. No, uh, I am to remain neutral? Totally. There will probably be some small unpleasantness. Mm. Do not join in. It will end in my being conveyed into the house. Four or five minutes afterwards, the sitting room window will open. You are to station yourself close to that window and watch for me. I will ensure I am visible to you. I understand. When I raise my hand, so, throw this into the room. Oh, what is it? Oh, nothing very formidable. An ordinary plumber's smoke rocket fitted with a cap at either end to make itself lighting. Then raise the cry of fire. And uh, what am I to do then? Simply walk to the end of the street where I will rejoin you in ten minutes. Right. You may rely entirely on me. Excellent. And now I think it is time that I prepared for the new role I have to play. Holmes disappeared into his bedroom and returned in a few minutes in the character of an amiable and simple-minded non-conformist clergyman. Now, it was not merely that Holmes changed his costume. His very soul seemed to vary with every fresh part that he assumed. The stage lost a fine actor, even as science lost an acute reasoner when he became a specialist in crime. It was already dusk as we reached Bryony Lodge to wait for the return of its occupant. For a small street in a quiet neighbourhood, it was remarkably animated. There was a group of shabbily dressed men smoking and laughing in one corner, a scissors grinder, two guardsmen flirting with a nurse, and several well-dressed young men. You see, Watson, this marriage rather simplifies matters. The photograph becomes a double-edged weapon now. 
The chances are that she will be as adverse to its being seen by Mr. Godfrey Norton as our client is to its coming to the eyes of his princess. The question is, where do we find the photograph? Uh, where indeed? It's most unlikely that she carries it about with her. It's too large for easy concealment about a woman's dress. And she knows the king is capable of having her waylaid and searched. Well, perhaps she's given it to someone, her banker or her lawyer. Mm, it is possible, but I'm inclined to think not. She could trust her own guardianship, but she could not tell what indirect or political influence might be brought to bear on a businessman. Besides, remember that she had resolved to use it within a few days. It must be where she can lay her hands upon it. Well, in her own house, then? Precisely. Ah, but it's been burgled. Well, they did not know how to look. Well, how will you look? Oh, I will not. Oh, what then? I will get her to show me. But she will refuse. She will not be able to. Now, I hear her carriage. Please carry out my instructions to the letter. The gleam of the sidelights of a carriage came round the curve of the avenue. As it pulled up, one of the loafing men at the corner came forward to open the door in the hope of earning a copper. But he was elbowed away by another loafer who had rushed up with the same intention. A fierce quarrel broke out, which was supported by everyone else. A blow was struck, and in an instant, the lady was the centre of a little knot of flushed and struggling men. Holmes dashed into the crowd to protect the lady, but as he reached her, he gave a cry and fell to the ground, with the blood running freely down his face. Those who had been fighting took to their heels. The better-dressed people now approached where Holmes lay, and the lady, who by now had reached her own door, called back to them... Poor gentleman much hurt. He's dead. No, no. But he'll be gone before you can get him to hospital. He's a brave fellow. They'd have had the lady's purse if it hadn't been for him. He can't lie in the street. Uh, may we bring him in, ma'am? Surely. Take him into the sitting room. There's a comfortable sofa there. This way. Holmes was born into Bryony Lodge as I observed the proceedings from my post by the window. I took the smoke rocket from under my ulster. Then I saw Holmes motion like a man who was in want of air. A maid rushed across and threw open the window. At the same instant, I saw him raise his hand, and I tossed my rocket into the room. Fire! Fire! As thick clouds of smoke curled through the room, and the whole crowd of spectators joined in a general cry of fire, I made my way to the corner of the street as we'd arranged. In about ten minutes, Holmes was there, and we walked in silence until we were close to the Edgware Road. You did it very nicely, Doctor. Nothing could have been better. And do you have the photograph? I know where it is. And how did you find out? She showed me, as I told you that she would. You know, I'm still in the dark. <laughs> Although it's clear to me that everyone in the street was an accomplice. Yes, all engaged for the evening. Mm, and moist red paint in your palm, ready to be clapped to your forehead. It's an old trick. But why the smoke rocket? It was all important. When a woman thinks that a house is on fire, her instinct is at once to rush to the things she values most. It's a perfectly overpowering impulse, and I have more than once taken advantage of it. A married woman grabs at her baby, an unmarried one for her jewel box. Ah, and you reasoned that Irene Adler had nothing more precious to her than the photograph. Exactly. And did it prove so? Oh, it did, it did, yes. The photograph is in a recess behind a sliding panel just above the right bell pull. Ah. She was there in an instant at the first alarm of fire. When I cried out that it was a false alarm, she replaced the photograph and hurried from the room. Well, could you not have secured it at that moment? <sighs> Unfortunately, the coachman had come in and was watching me narrowly. It seemed safer to wait. But we shall return early in the morning with the king. 
We will be shown into the sitting room to wait for the lady, and by the time she comes, she may find neither us nor the photograph. We had reached Baker Street and stopped at the door. As Holmes was searching in his pocket for the key, someone behind us spoke. Good night, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. There were several people on the pavement at the time, but the greeting appeared to come from a slim youth in an Ulster who had hurried by. I'd heard that voice before. I wonder who the deuce that could have been. Hmm. I slept at Baker Street that night, and we were engaged upon toast and coffee the next morning, when the King of Bohemia rushed into the room. You have really got it? Uh, not yet. But you have hopes. I have hopes. Then come. I am all impatience to be gone. Uh, we must have a cab. Uh, my brougham is waiting. Oh, well, that will simplify matters. Your Majesty, Irene Adler is married. Married? When? Yesterday. But to whom? To an English lawyer named Norton. Huh? But she could not love him. I am in hopes that she does. Why in hopes? Because it would spare Your Majesty all fear of future annoyance. If the lady loves her husband, she does not love Your Majesty. And if she does not love you, there is no reason why she should interfere with your plans. Hmm. It is true. And yet, uh, well, I wish she could have been of my own station. What a queen she would have made. At Irene Adler's house, any thought of elation was dashed by the elderly housekeeper. She met us with the news that her mistress had left that morning with her husband by the 5.15 train from Charing Cross. She was bound for the continent and had no plans to return. We rushed into the sitting room. Holmes tore back a small sliding shutter by the bell pull and brought out the contents of the recess behind it. The photograph. Not exactly. It is of Irene Adler alone. But there is a letter. Superscribed Sherlock Holmes Esquire to be left till call for. Indeed. My dear Mr. Sherlock Holmes, you, you really, really did, did it very it well. Very well. You took me in completely. Until after the alarm of fire, I had not a suspicion. But then, when I found how I had betrayed myself, I began to think. I had been warned against you months ago. So, since I have been trained as an actress myself, I sent John, my coachman, to watch you and ran upstairs to change so that I could follow you to your door. That way I made sure that a dear, kind old clergyman was in fact the celebrated Mr. Sherlock Holmes, although it was rather imprudent to wish you good night. I went straight to my husband, and we both thought the best resource when pursued by so formidable an antagonist was flight. So you will find the nest empty when you call. As to the photograph, your client may rest in peace. I love and am loved by a better man than he. I keep it only to safeguard myself from any steps he might take in the future. I leave a photograph which he might care to possess, and I remain, dear Mr. Holmes, very truly yours, Irene Norton. <laughs> what a woman! <laughs> Did I not tell you how quick and resolute she was? She would have made an admirable queen. 
Ah, is it not a pity she was not on my level? From what I have learned of the ladies, she seems indeed to be on a very different level to your majesty. I am sorry that I have not been able to bring this business to a more successful conclusion. On the contrary, my dear sir, nothing could be more successful. I know that her word is inviolate. The photograph is as safe as if it were in the fire. I am immensely indebted to you. Pray, tell me in what way I can reward you. Your Majesty has something that I should value very highly. You have but to name it. The photograph. Oh. Irene's photograph? Certainly, if you wish it. Thank you. <laughs> then there is no more to be done in the matter. I have the honour to wish you a very good morning. But, Mr. Holmes... And that was how a great scandal threatened to affect the kingdom of Bohemia and how the plans of Sherlock Holmes were beaten by a woman's wit. It is also why, when Holmes speaks of Irene Adler or refers to her photograph, it is always under the honourable title of The Woman. In A Scandal in Bohemia by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Hayden Wood, the King, and Heather Bell, Irene Adler. A Scandal in Bohemia was dramatised by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.